0: Once again, welcome. Welcome to our Sunday gathering on this Lord's Day as we dive into the book of Ephesians. As we mentioned last week, we are going to get into the redemption and the forgiveness that we have with Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Turn with me to your, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to go through verses 7 through 14. Now, in order to get a full picture, we did this here a couple of weeks ago, kind of read through the whole thing. And as I mentioned, from here, to from verse 1 to 16, 16, we have, um, I'm sorry, 14. From 1 to 14, it's one long continuous sentence, and it gives us the theme of the letter, which is the riches of God's grace. And as I mentioned, Paul is in prison. He's in, on house arrest. And uh, not long from, from now, in a couple of years, he will be beheaded by tradition, is what we know. We know that uh, he has the liberty to move around inside of the prison cells, people to come visit him and bring him some goodies, and he can get letters out. So he's writing these letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And he's, and, uh, and he's writing these letters out to the, uh, the churches. Paul has had time to reflect and look back upon his life and look to see what God had been doing all those years as he was planting churches. And now he's trying to strengthen them. Ephesians is a very beautiful letter. It's, it's not one of those reprimand letters as we've been reading in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Galatians. And I think you know, we were kind of bra-beaten by what Paul was saying. He was just unleashing upon the church and Having us all get together and, and look at, look at the, the gospel message and the doctrine that he had taught. And, and we see that everything that he's been doing, he, from the very beginning, he's, he's half the book is doctrine, the other part is application. But in Ephesians, he's sharing with us, and people have called this the, the checkbook of God. He's sharing with us the riches that God provides for the believer. And he's, he starts off by, by sharing with us who he is, who he's writing to, and, uh, and, and what, he, what he wants us to get from the letter in these first uh, 14 verses. And I know it's addressed to the church in Ephesus, but Ephesus, again, is, is one church that this letter was was read. It was read at Ephesus first, and then it went around to other cities as well. So everybody was being encouraged by the the words of Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as God has been uh, dealing with the apostles, and uh, and with Paul himself. But I'm going to read the whole the whole 14, 14 verses once again, and uh, just so we can get a glimpse of what we're going to we're going to be looking at. And then next week we're going to go into Thanksgiving and prayer. But verse 1, chapter 1 of Ephesians, in the English Standard Version, reads like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, We acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And Father, this morning, we want to sing our praises and and shout out the praises of of your glory and to your glory. Your glory is is above and beyond anything and anyone. It is your glory. We, We cannot make you any bigger or more glorious. You already have the glory. We cannot magnify you any more than you're already magnified, except for in our life and making you bigger in our life. And so this morning we come to acknowledge that and recognize that we come to, to hear from you in your word that you lead us in this portion of scripture, Holy Spirit, there, because there, here is your word. Here is what you have already predestined and set aside for us to be able to hear. And these words, Lord, that were penned many years ago have been translated and brought to us at this point in time. And I pray, God, that we can keep the authenticity, authenticity, uh, authenticity of your word. Lord, you just lead us this morning, I pray. And use this uh, messed up vessel just to proclaim your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. All right. Corinthians chapter 1, the meaning of redemption uh redemption is, is something that I guess some of you might be familiar with. You, you know, when I was a kid, I, I was going to bring my bottle, too, because I have this huge 7-Up bottle, this 32-ounce uh, bottle of 7-Up that when we were kids, we used to take... Bottles, Coke bottles and Pepsi bottles, mainly Coke bottles. And we used to get a nickel, a redemption we used to get back. And we used to take the big bottles and get a dime for them. And we were able to redeem them in such a manner today. We have redemption centers for aluminum cans and uh, other things as well. Because there is a price on that that somebody had to pay. And usually it was you that paid that extra price. But in the New Testament, redemption has a really deep... Uh, deep theological meaning, and, and it's it's good for us to go to the uh, apoluto uh, 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 sin apatuloptsin of the 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 word of redemption, and, and it comes from luoso, luso, the word which is to loose or to release. It comes from the word the Greek word that is meaning to set free in a sense. And when you think about the word redemption, you, you have to look at it in the terms of the New Testament. When Paul was talking about redemption, he was basically saying that there is there uh, this redemption that has to be done to the person that is being redeemed. And the word that was usually used for redemption during that time was the word that was used for releasing a slave. There were over six million slaves in the Roman Empire during this time of Paul's writing. So for Paul uh, to to understand and everyone else to understand what redemption meant, they understood what it meant. Just like the word that we talked about last week, adoption. Adoption was a word that many people, you know, we just take it as a second class type of a term. But it it really means a lot more, especially when we understand the process of it. And and with redemption, it's it's almost the, the same type of... Uh, meaning and process that that a person goes through in having to buy a slave back, and you would buy them at the value that they were worth. Now, now slaves, some of them were not, um, you know, well, most of them weren't really treated badly. They were they were bought as uh, well like you would a uh, farming equipment. If you bought farming equipment, you would take care of it. If you uh, paid for bought an animal, you would take care of your animal. And slaves were somewhat. Treated in such a manner. It wasn't until much later that the hearts of men got really wicked and and started to do these atrocities to human beings and, and how they would treat them. However, that's basically the concept of the slaves that were in the Roman Empire. They belonged to those that paid for them. And so when Jesus Christ came to the cross and he came to redeem his beloved, he came to redeem those that were his and he paid that precious price. And so when he paid that price, he did so in order to set us free. In the book of Galatians, we talked about how mankind was uh, was in bondage of slavery. And Jesus Christ even says, you know, the reason why you can't understand these things is because you are a slave to sin, that we are part of this world that has been cursed. And, and so this, the slavery that we have been in until the day that Jesus Christ opened our eyes, that we were just stuck in that that, that rut, I guess you would say. And so the elements of, of redemption, they go really deep and, and it's, a, it's, it's a really rich word when you understand what Paul is trying to get across here. And, and what Paul is saying to us is that we are redeemed, that he is our blessed redeemer. That he is our kinsman redeemer. That he has redeemed us and therefore we are his. We are no longer part of this world. We are in this world, but we're not part of this world. And I don't know if you're familiar with the book of Ruth, but the book of Ruth is a beautiful story of this man. This man that uh, went to Moab. Now Moab was a very wicked city. But there was a famine in the land of, the, of Israel. And people were trying to do whatever they could to try to get by. Moab took his wife Naomi and her two sons and went into Moab to, okay, at least here we can get food. You know, at least here we can get by. You know, even though we have to put up with all this unholiness and all this unrighteousness, you, you know, this is what we have to do. And it's interesting because the man's name... Uh, uh, was, um, was translated into, God is my king. God is my king. Anyways, he went with his two sons. His two sons married some Moabite women. And in that process of uh, living there, after several years, he dies. And so Naomi was left as a widow. And, and then not long after that, one of her sons dies, and then the other son dies. Now she's left without anybody to fend for her, take care of her. Even in Moab, it was difficult for a widow and women to get by. They needed somebody. And so Naomi says, you know, it's time for me to leave. I want to go back to my homeland and see if I can somehow find in the graces of somebody to care for me. And she tells her, her, her two daughter-in-laws to stay. Oprah was one of them, and the other one was Ruth. And she says, stay here. And Ruth says, no, no. I'm going with you. No, know, my daughter. Stay. You have to stay here because here at least you can find another husband to take care of you. I can't provide for you another husband. That my, my closest kinsman redeemer is not even going to be able to provide for you a husband. And so what she ends up doing is she goes with Naomi back to Israel. And in, that, in the process of being finding herself and, and finding a way to provide for herself, she would go to the fields. And she would go to the fields and what the the process was, and this is part of the tithing system and the economical system of the Israelites at that time. The process was that you would plow your fields and then you would harvest them after, after they were planted. You would harvest them and you wouldn't pick everything from the edges. You would leave as much as possible for the edges so that people can come and glean from what was left behind. I remember as a young man, when we were small, we were uh, we we're doing with without in the cities of, of Madera and Fresno and that area. And during the harvest season, as the farmers went by, they plowed the fields and would bring up all the potatoes. And then workers would come by and pick up all the potatoes. We would come by afterward and find one or two or three potatoes. We'd come home with a good five pounds or maybe even ten pounds of potatoes that would take care of us for the rest of the week. And this was kind of what they were doing. They would go back in there and they would... They would glean the fields. And there was this man that owned this property. He sees and recognizes Ruth and says, who are you? And she says, well, I'm from Naomi. We just came back. Oh, yeah, I heard about you guys and everything that's happened to you and your father-in-law and your husband. And so he would instruct the people to leave extra just for her. And what ended up happening was that Boaz took Ruth and helped her to become part of that kinsman redeemer. He redeemed her. She, he was the kinsman uh, uh, related to Naomi. Related to her husband. And therefore he wanted to redeem Ruth and bring her into the family. The problem was that there was somebody already uh, in line. The kinsman redeemer had to be from the family the next in line and the means to do so. And as he redeemed, or he tried to redeem Ruth, he says, I need to talk to the actual kinsman redeemer, see if he'll let you go. So he goes over and says, you know, there's this lady, she's a widow, uh, she has a daughter-in-law, and uh, you know, you're, you're going to have to take the widow and the daughter-in-law. He says, I'll take the daughter-in-law, but not the widow. Well, it's, it's a two-for-one. He says, well, in that case, you can have it. And they exchanged sandals, in a sense. It was just a way of being able to make this exchange. And it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of how Jesus Christ redeemed us. Because when you look at Ruth, and you look at her lineage, she's from Moab, a wicked city. She is one of the three women that are named in the genealogy of Jesus. As a matter of fact, Boaz And Ruth, they had a son. His name was Obed. Obed became the father of Jesse. And as you know, Jesse became the father of King David. And King David is of the lineage of, or Jesus Christ is the lineage of King David. So God used up a a situation. He uses up lives. He uses lives just like yours and mine that come from broken families, that come from a mess. And he uses you and he redeems you for the glory and honor of his son, Jesus Christ. And so when we think about this redemption, the richness of it, and how how full it is, we have to remember that God redeemed us from an empty way of life, as we're going to see in chapter 2. He redeemed us, and when we were dead in our trespasses, He redeemed us according to... And we used to walk according to the, the, the course of this world. He redeemed us even when we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. He redeemed us, and as we lived in the lust of our flesh... Indulging the desires of our flesh and our mind. He redeemed us even when we were children of wrath. He redeemed us even when we were separated from Christ. He redeemed us because he loved us. And he redeemed us and he's given you this redemption. And, and when we start to understand the fullness of this redemption. He's paid a price for you. He's paid a, a, a wonderful price for you. Because you are highly valued. You are what it is that he wanted, not because of your lineage, not because you're good, not because of anything else, not because you're smart, because he desired to have you. Number one in your outlines redemption. Redemption is a precious gift. Redemption is a precious gift. The price of redemption was his blood was his blood. In Hebrews 9, 22, this is not in your outlines, but it says that indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now this letter to the Hebrews, the Hebrew people understood the Levitical law. They understood everything that took place in the temple. They understood as to why it was that the high priest, before he went into the Holy of Holies, had to put blood on his thumb, blood on his earlobe, blood on his thumb, and blood on his toe. And they understood that when there is blood being shed and when it is used, that the high priest would enter in just like this, with his foot first, his thumb, and then his ear. And I don't know exactly as to why they did that. Maybe they thought, you know, if he puts his foot in there. He's not holy. At least he'll die out here. We won't have to wait till next year to pull him out. But the symbolism behind it, Lord, I am walking in your way. I want to do what you say. And I want to hear your word in, with, with all my heart. And, and it was a picture of redemption. It was a picture of this sacrifice and this uh, shedding of blood that, and, and the forgiveness of sin. The high priest would go into this Holy of Holies once a year, once a year to sacrifice and to stand before the people of Israel. And once a year, he would, he would be the, the mediator between God and man. And once a year, he would do this uh, every year, uh, so that during the festivals and the holidays, to be able to bring repentance. And as the Hebrews say, you you, you understand this that under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. You need the shedding. Of blood. That was uh, that was in the Old Testament. Today we have Jesus Christ. Uh, the blood. Shedding of blood is another way of saying Jesus' death or Christ's own death by the shedding of his blood was the substitute for our death. You see, because sin has to be dealt with. And when sin has to be dealt with, it's either I'm going to have to pay for it or somebody else is going to intermediate, is be an intermediator for me. He's going to have to intercede. He's going to have to pay my debt. and That's exactly what Jesus Christ did. This precious gift of redemption, it is beyond compare in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 verses 18 through 19 Peter says this knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers not with perishable things as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot and that's what we have been redeemed with not with anything that anybody can pay for Not because I deserved it. As a matter of fact, if I think that I deserve grace, then it's it's not grace. By definition, grace is something that we don't deserve. What I deserve is justice. What I deserve is God's wrath. But because of his grace, he has given me redemption. He has redeemed me. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said to his disciples during the Last Supper, as he's passing around the the bread, he said, this is my body, which is given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And then he passes around the cup in Matthew 26, verse 28, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness or the redemption of sin, to redeem those and forgive those of the sins that they have committed, that have been committed against God. I'm here to pay that price. The redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, in the blood through faith, as Paul says, has paid the price for those enslaved by sin. Brought them out of the slave market, brought them out of the, the, the market that they were in, and what he did is he placed them in a place where they are now free and set free, and if the sun sets you free, then you're free indeed. And there is no reason why any believer, any genuine believer, should be going back to that bondage of sin when we understand the precious gift of the redemption, of what Jesus Christ did for us, when we understand the the power behind that, which we'll look at here in just a little bit, when we understand what Jesus Christ did for us, it should not take us back to our sin. And number two, it, it should give us hope. Some of the most exciting and blessed people on this planet and the most joyful people on this planet are the redeemed, should be the redeemed. Amen? We have been redeemed from this empty way of life. We have been set free. And therefore, we should be the most joyful and happiest people on the planet and expressing it to everybody else. I have redemption. You can have it too. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. And we share that with everyone. Number two, redemption proclaims I am free. Redemption proclaims, I am free. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. I think the hardest person to witness to are those that don't believe they've done anything wrong. The hardest person to explain redemption is those that don't believe they need redemption or redeeming. I'm good, everything is great. Forgiveness, the primary result of redemption for the believer, is this forgiveness. To have your past forgiven, to have your guilt forgiven, to have your shame forgiven and removed. To have everything that you've done today forgiven, to have everything that you're going to do tomorrow forgiven. That's the central theme and the central truth of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's also the dearest truth to those who have experienced its blessing. As I said earlier, at the Last Supper, Jesus explained to the disciples that the cup that he was sharing with them was for the the blood of the covenant. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Redemption brings forgiveness. The forgiveness, it it is amazing. And how those that have been forgiven or profess to be forgiven have a difficult time forgiving those that have wronged them. See, Jesus Christ forgave my sin, not because of what I've done, or not because of who I am, but he forgave my sin. The story that comes out is the parable of the, uh, of the, the ruler, the unjust ruler that was forgiven, you know, $100,000. He went to the king he says, please have mercy upon me. He says, all right, you know what, I, I've absolved all your debt. You're free to go. And as he's leaving the presence of the king, he finds somebody that owes him 10 bucks. he says, you know what? Throw this guy in prison until he pays me my money. And the king hears about it and says, you know, I forgave you. Why can't you forgive someone else? Why can't you forgive them? You know, people tell me that all the time. Yeah, I'm saved. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I believe I've been redeemed. But I will never forgive that person. You know, that's kind of almost saying like, you know, you're greater than Jesus. Because Jesus could forgive. And if you can't. I don't know what that makes you. I understand the pain. I understand the humility. I understand the things that have happened in your life, for they have happened to me as well. And and life is not always the greatest, especially for a child that is living under an ungodly mother or father. And it is difficult to see the hand of God within all that mess. But yet, somewhere along the way, as, as we're all growing through life and, and we are playing out all of our baggage that we have brought with us, as we are working that out and living that out because of the things that we've experienced, thinking that this is the only way to life. And as we go through life and, and have all this garbage upon us and we, we amount even more so, somewhere along the line, God says, you're redeemed. And you experience the redemption of God, yet somehow those things behind us, we have not learned or we have not been taught of the the price of redemption and how forgiveness works. I've got to forgive you. I've got to forgive that person. I've got to forgive those that have violated, that uh, that I don't trust. I have to forgive them. Now, forgiveness is a must. And the moment that I learned this principle... Forgiveness is a must, but trust is a different issue. See, I don't have to trust that individual. I don't have to let them back into my life. Well, I thought you forgave me. I did forgive you. You know, and, and I'm doing it every single day. Seven times seven? No, 70 times seven, until it doesn't affect me anymore. Until I can honestly say that I genuinely love you, I pity you. I, I, I pray for you that somehow you change, but I don't have to let you back into my life. You stay where you're. I can love you from the curb. And until some kind of redemption happens in your life and you learn the process and the principle and the precious gift of forgiveness, then we can start talking. And I think this is one of the problems that we have with in Christianity there are a lot of people that, that don't want to forgive because they believe that they have to let them back into their life. And that's not true. That's not that's certainly true at all. I mean, you can. Some people are able to be strong and be able to deal with it, but for, for the most part, a lot of us are still working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so we have to be careful in understanding forgiveness is a must, but trust is a different issue. The gospel does not teach Uh, That we have to maintain this guilt. The gospel does not teach that we have to hold on to our shame. The gospel does not teach that we have to continue living out our sin. That is put behind us. The shame of, of what people have done to me. The guilt that I carry because of things that I've done to others. Those twisted sisters are annihilated at the cross. And they're taken care of. And they're set behind you. And you move forward. You know, and and until we learn how to deal with that, that ugliness in our life, we will, some people say, I I won't forgive that person till the day I die. I will die before I forgive them. That's exactly what's going to happen. You will die. Because of the stress and just the, uh, just the emotional and the physio- physiological uh, strain that it puts on your body. The, the headaches, the insomnia, the, the migraines, the, the, all those things. The stomach problems, the high blood pressure, even sugar diabetes. And even some cancers have been linked to this stress that people have upon themselves. Because, number one, they're not willing to forgive. And the other sister, they have this guilt and shame. Because of what's going on. That has been removed at the cross. As a matter of fact, Luke says in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39, it says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And by him everywhere who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You have been freed. It's been proclaimed. Forgiveness is given to you. You have been forgiven. Forgive others. Forgive others to, to and, and it's a, and it's an expression of your growth. You will grow because now you're forgiven. You don't do it for them. Another a common response I receive is, if I forgive them, if I for, then they're going to get away with it. Get away with what? It's not for them. It's for you. It's not for what's happened to them or what you know. They might not even remember. You might have to go up to them and say, look, I forgive you. And they might even laugh at your face. Well, you know, it might not have affected you, but it's been affecting me all these years. And I just want to know that I'm, I'm done. And I'm going to do the best I can to forgive you. you know, I'm, not going to wait. I'm going to wait for trust, but the forgiveness I must do. And they might think, you know, you're dumb, you're crazy, whatever. I, It's been taken care of. Jesus has paid it all. He's taken care of the trespass in my life. Of all the things that I've done. In Romans 8 verses 1 and 2 it says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop condemning yourself. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. From the law of sin and death. Our life brother. Our life, sister, should be the one that is, is, is just flowing with this joy and this exuberance that the Holy Spirit can give you and, and help you to understand and see the world in a different light. This world is not my home. And we're getting so caught up with this media and this hype and, you, you know, and all these various things that are going on where we're battling each other, we're fighting each other. And, and beloved, we need to just focus on God. Seriously, focus on God. Because he's coming. He's sending Jesus Christ. He's sending him back. And and, and forgiveness. It's just a matter of asking for it. He's already forgiven you. Now it's just a matter of claiming 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We claim that. He's forgiven you. He's done so. He's taken care of it on the cross. He's not going to bring it back anymore. And he's done so according to the riches of his grace. According to his. This is the the book of of richness. Of of the the bank book of God. Of the spiritual gifts that he gives you. The spiritual love. And and, and the richness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and we're going to keep going through this. and, And seeing this throughout this whole book. And we'll see how, on how God's riches, his grace, and how all of that just pours out into my life. Because number three, redemption professes God's mystery. Redemption professes God's mystery. Now there's a, there's a few places where we're really going to touch on the mystery of God. And we're not gonna, I'm not going to elaborate on it much today. But, but uh, in the coming weeks we will talk about the mystery that he made known to the church. The mystery that he's made known from throughout all time. And how it is that the, the Jew and the Gentile are going to come together. And how it is that God's saving grace is going to save humanity. And how it is that that, this, that that what God has, he's given it to sinful man. He's making them right first and foremost. And giving them all this inheritance all this promise, everything is bl- placed upon the blessed of the beloved. And, and the redemption, it professes, it, it gives, it, it shows the it shows God's mystery. When he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. I wish I could stand here and tell you that I know God's will perfectly. I don't. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think as I had this conversation this last week, I believe that this is what the Bible says. And my, my beloved brother says, well, this is what I believe the Bible says. I wish I understood it all. <laughs> I really do. You, you know, but all I can tell you is what the Bible says. And this is what it says. Okay, well, you know, we're still walking through this. But one thing I do know, one thing I, I know that I know that I know is that Jesus Christ died on a cross to save a sinner just like me. Amen. Amen. You can say that as well. I pray. Say that with me. Jesus Christ died on a cross to save a sinner just like me. No, no not, not just you. Don't, who said that? You too. He died on the cross to save sinners just like us. That's I know that. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt now how that all happens with the blood and how that all happens with my bringing me in in, into into the body of Christ. How how I know all that, how that all takes place. You know, all I know is that Jesus Christ and I'm working this out. And the more I study, the more I look, Man, I'm thinking, man, this is baffling. How does he do this? Why does he do this? How, How does that even take place? When was the foundations of the world? Well, wait a minute. Who created God? Uh, you know, And so there we go. It just goes off into many tangents. He lavishes this wisdom. Now, what you need to know is what God's going to let you know. He gives you wisdom. He gives you insight. He brings to light, as some of my uh, students that are going through the foundational study, He brings to light, as we studied last week, the, the, the words in Scripture. Revelation's already been done. We believe in a closed canon. The closed canon, it's closed and revelation is complete. Now, there's times when people look at the word of God and they see something. It's why God just revealed something to me. No, revelation has always been there. What God did is he illumined it to you. There's revelation, inspiration and illumination. And this illumination, it just brings it to light. All of a sudden, bam, it's like I'd never seen it that way before. And there it is and it's it's happened to me many times before god brings you that wisdom and that insight he brings it to you from from up above and god gives us not only because he he wants us to be smart not because he wants us to be to lord it over other people because we know more than them and if you're honest with yourself and if you study god's word you'll come to realize that the more i know the more i realize i don't know (laughs) the more i look the more i see the more i realize i there's a lot, a lot more that I have to see. And there's a lot that we have to look at. You see, in 1st Corinthians, not in your outlines, in First Corinthians 2, uh, verses 6 and 7, you know, as Paul is talking to the people in Corinth, and he's sharing with them, you know, the, 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 there are people that just don't understand, or the man without the Spirit does not understand the things that come from the Spirit of God. They are foolishly uh, discerned. And they just cannot grasp it. Then in verse 6, he says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Before the ages. And and so this, this mystery that the church is now starting to reveal has been hidden in the past, in the Old Testament, and is being revealed in Jesus Christ. And it's not till its full consummation that we will know exactly what God had intended for us to know. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, at the end of the chapter, it says, right now we see through a glass dimly. You know, right now we don't see it all. Then, right now we see in part, but then we will see in full. It's kind of like looking out of these windows here. They're frosted, and they're but we can see an image go by. We know that there's somebody out there, but we don't get the full picture until we are on the other side. And that's when it's all going to come together. That's when we're going to say, oh yeah, I get it now. I get it now. I don't know how that's going to happen. And I, 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 the more I read, I realize, wow, I need to read more. Number four, redemption provides for me an inheritance. Beloved, if nothing else, this is the one. The inheritance, the things that we're going to receive. As a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The older I get, the more I look to heaven. The older I get, I start to realize there, there's, there is a place. There is an inheritance. There is a mansion. There is, there is something more. I sense it. My spirit reveals that within me. And it confirms what the word of God says. And it, I share with, I share that with my family. You know, we're going, we're going to a better place. Some people have said, you know, but, but why, why would I want to go to heaven if my loved ones are going to stay behind? Isn't that going to be sorrowful? Isn't that going to make me sad knowing that I'm in heaven and they didn't make it? Again, how does that play out? All I know is that the Bible says there will be no more sorrow. <laughs> there will be no more tears. Okay? And how that plays out, I'm not really too sure, but I know that it's going to make sense when I get there. It's kind of like when I was a kid, I, would, I was the oldest. Hey, you guys better behave. Mom's coming back. You guys better behave. Mom's coming back. You're going to get it. She's going to pull out the chancla, or the, the slipper, for those that know what a chancla is. She's going to pull out. You're going to get it. And when they came, my mom came home, she saw the kids doing what they it, well, bam! She, they were crying and they were hurting. And I, I, I told you. Now, I don't know if it's going to be that simple. But I know that we're going to understand it. I, I can't understand how that's going to happen. Right now, it grieves my heart. I know it does. But I also believe what the Word of God says. It's not what I feel. I believe what the Word of God says. There's not going to be any crying up there. There's not going to be any sorrow. There's not going to be any sickness, no death. And it's all going to be put behind us. 1 Peter chapter 1. You have only verse 4 in your outlines. But I'm going to read to you verses 3-5. through five. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. See, it's Him who causes us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, this is verse 4, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, there is this inheritance. I don't know if you've ever been the benefactor of a will or you have received anything from somebody that, or there was something promised to you. And you know that it's going to be there once that will or that trust is executed and the, uh, those that are in charge of it will divvy it out according to the law. Nobody gets more, nobody gets less. Everybody gets exactly what the law says. And I don't know if you've ever been a part of that. And, and you know, one of the hardest thing is the waiting Okay, the person's passed away. Okay, when do I get my money? Well, it's a process. Well, I thought that it's yes, it's still a process, and I found out just recently it takes about two years to get the process all done. Even though all the ducks were lined up and all in a row, it takes about two years for everything to get done, sale of property and everything else. You know, everything distributed, and, and it's that waiting part. Sometimes you just can't. Wow, you know when is okay? Just sometimes you know I, I've already got it spent. You know. It's, <laughs> Where where is it at? And it's okay. Because that's what you have coming to you. And it seems like it's taking forever. Now put yourselves in the shoes of the people that Peter was writing to. He's writing to those that are being martyred. He's writing to those that are not able to stand firm. He tells them, you know, stand firm because your enemy is like a roaring lion. Just waiting to pounce on you and devour you. He says, be self-controlled. You know, Peter telling you to be self-controlled? <laughs> Peter, the guy that didn't know how to have self-control himself. You tell me not to be self-controlled. I think he learned something along the way, right? He's talking to some of these guys that are really just going through it. Put yourself in their shoes. Now think about what's going on in around the globe, in places that are are crumbling. Places like Afghanistan that has uh, you know, they're trying to eradicate all Christianity. They're going, through, they're going through homes, confiscating telephones, seeing who has Bible apps. They're going through homes and they're finding a lot of the Christians that, are, uh, that, that, that they're proclaiming that have converted. They're, they're going through places and they're identifying who are genuine Muslims and who aren't. Now put yourself in their shoes. And, and, and they know this verse. They know that they have an inheritance. They have an inheritance that is waiting for them. But when, Lord? When? And and we sometimes have a hard time in filling our pews because, well, it's, it's, it's not comfortable. It's too hot. It's too loud. It's too long. It's too whatever. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ cuts to the heart. And when people understand the Word of God and understand what God is doing in the world and in our lives... You see, we look at this this stuff that's going on. And yeah, it's it's disheartening. It's it's sad. It, it you know depressing, and you know all the things that it seems to be going up against the church and people and everywhere else. And it seems like the bad continue to prosper, and the good seem to fall away. Look at this, as Paul says, we have an inheritance. Who by, the power, who by God's power, you're being, able to, you're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. Right now, Satan is the ruler of this world. He's, he's the ruler in, in John 12. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. As Paul is, excuse me, as John is talking, Jesus is talking to the people. He says, right now, God has given him the ability to rule. He's the prince of the power of the air. As we'll see in chapter 2. He and his demon angels will be thrown into this pit during the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom is, as I read it, it some people have a variation of it. But the millennial kingdom comes after uh, Jesus Christ returns after the seven year tri- uh, tribulation. Starts the uh, millennial kingdom for a thousand years, and the thousand year reigns. Uh, in this thousand year reign, he's going to uh, establish the, the 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 church or the people that are going to be judging. And after a thousand years, there's going to be a, uh, a, a season where Satan is released. How long is that season? We don't know. And then there's going to be the final war where, where the uh, false prophet, the Antichrist, and, the, and, the, and Satan himself are going to be cast into the bottomless pit or cast into hell. And many people have this misconception that Satan is in hell right now, and he's not. There's nobody in hell. It's, it's still there. And at, at that time, God's going to have this uh, open up the books and the great white throne of judgment is going to happen. And those that did not want to believe will be shown why they're going to be cast with Satan into, the, into hell. And, and it's at that time that Jesus Christ, but for the moment, he has the ability to move and to try to convince and move the powers to be. The kingdoms, the governments, the people. This is what we're seeing now. And when every trace of evil has been disposed of, God will establish an incomparable unity in himself and all things. And he's bringing, as Paul is saying, he's bringing all these things together. He's bringing it together. He's doing this. This is why you have redemption. This is why he has forgiven you. To bring everything together at the appointed time. And apart from the wisdom of God and apart from the insight of God, you know everything seems to be hopeless. And and the conclusion seems to be like, we just can't get away from any of this evil stuff. This is why God gives us wisdom. This is why God gives us insight. He's, He's summing all these things up in Christ, bringing it all together. And the last point I want to share with you is number five, redemption. It gives me a guaranteed promise. Redemption gives me a guaranteed promise. Verse 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We always want assurance. We always want guarantees, warranties. We want contracts signed. We want everything to work the way it's supposed to work. And God has given us a guarantee. In 2 Corinthians 1, he says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You have the Holy Spirit as a seal. This is a very important concept when you understand the significance of the seal in the Roman days. The seal was usually, uh, was placed on a document, a very important document, with melted wax. And the king's, or the, uh, the person that was in authority, would place his ring, his seal, on that wax. And it would melt, and no one could ever, excuse me, and it would harden up, and no one could ever break that seal until the appointed time. You heard of the, the, the lamb that walks uh, the, 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 at, the, at, the, at the foot of the throne, he walks up with the scroll that has seven seals on it. And if the document was important, it would have two seals or maybe even three seals. So when the lamb is presented with this scroll, who has the authority to, to be able to open this scroll? It has seven seals. And so for a people the people in that day, they understood this is a very important document. And it is a title deed to the planet. It is a title deed for the world. It is a title deed that only the authorized person can open this. You have been given this seal by the highest authority in all creation. And he has placed this seal upon your life, and he is the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee. There's no money back. You can't take it back. Everything is set, and it's guaranteed, and you're guaranteed for all eternity. And you receive the Holy Spirit, and it's sealed, and you have this on you. And, and the, the, the importance of this seal, number one, this is not in your outlines. You might want to write this down. But the importance of the of the Holy Spirit or the seal in your life is, number one, security. Secure Your salvation is secure. In ancient times, the seal of a king, prince, or a noble person would, would, would represent it would represent the security of a person that could not, it could not be violated. And any person but the king who broke or disturbed that seal would likely have to face death. And more than likely, he would, he would sh- share some kind of punishment because of what he did. In, in a similar way, you probably remember how when Jesus Christ was on in the tomb and the Pharisees came up to the governor and says, you know, they, they said that he would rise in three days you know to avoid anything happening to avoid any of his disciples to come at night and steal his body and then claim that he raised making the second lie even worse than the first we want you to put a seal on this tomb that's what they did see a seal what it does it's it's this huge uh, intimate way of the holy spirit that secures every believer you're his he you're his, marking him with, and marking you with this unbreakable seal. You are sealed in him, and you have security. Number two is authenticity. You are an authentic citizen of the kingdom of God. The seal that is placed on any document, any structure, anything, gives the, the, those that are bearing it or those that see it the authenticity of the king or the person that has placed his signet ring on that seal, on that melted wax. This is the kings. This is the managers. This is the governors. This cannot be disturbed. This seal that you have upon you cannot be disturbed, and it is authentic. You are an authentic citizen of Jesus Christ. You are an authentic citizen of his kingdom, and that cannot be removed. Number three, it's ownership. You belong to God. Anything that was sealed, it was owned by that person that sealed it. And it was always the part of the king or the governor or the ruler that placed that melted wax and that seal. And he says, this is mine. He is mine. The Holy Spirit says, you are God's and nothing can come up against you. Nothing. You might get sick. You might get imprisoned. You might even die. But you have a guaranteed promise that you have an inheritance that is coming to you. There are a lot of things on this planet that seem to want to thwart that. And many people get so discouraged at what's going on in our politics and in our social, economic levels and everywhere around us. And all we have to do is look to the redemption. Look to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because you have ownership. God owns you. And number four, you have authority. You have authority to proclaim God's word. When Christians are sealed with the Holy Spirit, you are delegated and you are given the ability and the responsibility to proclaim, to teach, to minister, defend God's word and his gospel with Jesus Christ's own authority. He's given you that. When Paul says that you have been sealed, you have this guarantee of this inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise praise of his glory. One day, one day, we will see it all come to fruition. I wish I would have wrote this down. But I believe it's in Luke chapter 21, um, verse 28. Turn with me to Luke chapter 21, verse 28. Jesus Christ has been asked about the temple. Some, somehow, somewhere, I don't know about you, but I've been going back to Jesus' second coming. I've been getting back into looking at that from Matthew, of course, uh, 24, Revelation, of course. And, and uh, when we get into the book of Thessalonians, we will we'll look at that even more uh, closely. But in, in Luke chapter 21, verse 20, uh, 28, he, he's, he's talking about. Somebody asked him, well, So when are all these things going to happen? He says that the temple's going to be destroyed and it'll be raised up in three days. Well, he, it was prophetic to the point of it's going to happen now, but also later. And, and Jesus is talking about the time when the, the rapture is taking place and all the things that are coming down upon uh, Jesus Christ and, and, excuse me, on this planet. And we can start in verse 25, uh, the coming of the Son of Man. And there will be signs, and, uh, signs in the sun and the moon and stars and on the earth. Distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when you see these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Redemption has a past effect. You have been redeemed. Redemption has a present effect. You are being redeemed. And when you understand the richness of redemption, and you realize that there is a place coming to you that you're going to receive, and then redemption has a future effect as well, your redemption draws near. Now, in, in this portion of scripture, Jesus is talking about the, the seven-year tribulation. He's talking about the time when the, those that have, not, have been left behind, the, those that have been raptured are no longer here, and those that have been left behind, there is still the grace of God being proclaimed throughout the nation, throughout the whole world. And there are going to be many that are going to commit their life to Christ. And they're going to have to be martyred, killed, in order to be resurrected and the redemption to take place. And, and during that time, I know there are a lot of people that are saying, this is happening now. Well, the, the things that are happening now are just a precursor of what's going to happen. By the way, this is way off base. <laughs> okay, this is way off base. But but I, I need to let you know this, and those of you that are listening online, that uh, I, I saw some sort of report this morning on this earthquake that could happen here pretty soon. They've figured out a way on how to look at the tension and the tectonic plates that have been taking place. And, and somehow they've... They've seen this, and, and you know, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but just, just always be careful. You should always be prepared. Always. If, if you don't sleep with a pair of shoes next to your bed, you should. If you don't have things set up for, your, for preparedness, you should. Uh, what is that? Stop, rock, and roll? No, not stop, rock, and roll. Uh, <laughs> stop, drop, and roll. That's what it is. Uh, yeah, you can rock and roll too if you want. But you, you should always be prepared. But I, I just saw that, and they said, you know, something couldn't happen, and they've always said this, but those things are not the end. Those are just precursors of things that are going to happen. Those are the, the groaning pains. Those are the things that are going to happen uh, You know that are labor. Because when labor hits, oh, you'll know you're in it. When the rapture hits and everything else comes, you'll know you're in it. You'll know it. You don't have to try to guess it. You don't have to try to figure it out. You don't have to try to, okay, well, this is, this, is this the time now? You will know it. And all these things that are leading up to it, all this lawlessness, all this, this stuff, all you know, just the, the conditioning of mankind, of the whole world. This is not just in the United States. This is not just in California. This is not a, a government or a governor issue in our state. This is the whole world. And never before has anything like this has, has scared and captured the whole world and just ready to surrender. To whatever it is that the governing authorities are telling us to do. Now, I'm not going against, you know, I'm not even going to walk there. All I'm saying is that it's it's worldwide. It's worldwide. And you need to do what's right for you and your family. Every one of you. But the one thing that we need to hold on to is the fact that Jesus Christ is coming. This planet will not survive. Plain and simple. Simple. All, all these Mother Earth worship people that are trying to save the planet by electricity and all these other things, the planet doesn't survive. They're going to be mad at us while all the, the, the lava and the earthquakes are happening, the stars are falling from the sky, the, the sky gets rolled back as a scroll. As the water turns to blood, they're going to be cursing us. You cursed Christians, if you guys would have just recycled a little bit better, we would have been in a better place. We cannot save this planet. I want you to take care of the planet, please. Yes, do so. But we cannot save the planet. I'd like for you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as you can. You have the authority to do so. You cannot save everyone. As a matter of fact, you cannot save anyone. It's God's Holy Spirit that will save them using the words that you have. You have the authority to do so. Because of this richness of redemption that has been given to you through Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to stand. God's pledge. He's given us this pledge of this inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. That is what we are all about glorify god father in heaven thank you once again lord we know that time is running out and we know that this world is showing us already and it's being displayed even before us many people are are in denial many people are willing to say that we can still save this planet we can stay still save this people if we all just would to get along and get rid of any type of animosity that we have with each other but father we know that the further along we go the closer we get to coming to seeing you again and so father in the whole purpose the whole process of your redemption plan for us was not just to take us out of this planet but to share what you have given us given us the authority you've secured us lord we have authority we, we have the, the seal upon our life. And we have the ability, Lord, to, to do those things that you've called us to do. We belong to you, Lord. We're authentically yours. And Father, all these, all these elements of redemption of the Holy Spirit, of the seal upon our life, gives us the ability and the responsibility to share your word. So Father, I pray that you lead us today. You help us to understand the richness of this redemption, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says? Amen. Amen and amen. All right. Please stick around for just a moment, if you can. Just if you would have a seat. Okay? We want to talk to you a little bit about our our last revival. Our last revival is going to be this this, uh, Friday. Friday night at 7. For those of you that uh, would like to participate, just uh, let us know. We can give you a volunteer form. We have uh, a few... Few places that might need some uh, some help. In we have the uh, children's ministry. We're going to provide childcare from uh, kindergarten to sixth grade. My wife is uh, overseeing that. We're also doing refreshments. Refreshments are part of uh, what we do as well. We'll have water, coffee, uh, just to set up the stations and uh, make sure that everybody has everything that they need. Alisa is overseeing that. She's right here. Elisa and Jan, uh, and I think where's yeah, I think um, Winter is helping on that too. I don't I don't remember if you're having that with the kids. Okay, so yeah, she'll be helping with that. Also, we, have, um, we, we did have music, but we're not going to be doing the music like we did this last time around. We'll just go straight into the message, a little bit of an introduction of who we are, those that are going to be here. And, uh, and, then, and then, of course, we have uh, the prayer team, those that need prayer afterward. Bill's right here. Raise your hand up, Bill. And if anyone would like to join with him, uh, we want to be able to help people to come to know who Jesus Christ is. Pray with them, give them the assurance of salvation uh, after, the fa- after the fact. Revival is not necessarily uh, for the non-believer, which this is what non-believers should come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But revival is more for the believer, the genuine believer. Revival should start right here. Draw a circle around you, and that's where it starts. Revival starts right here in your heart. You're revived, you're refreshed, you're looking at God's word with a a deeper understanding, a, a better understanding of what it is that he wants you to do. And revival has always been to revive the saint. And uh, it, it happen, you know, politics, social, economic levels, whatever the case may be, all these things that are going on are, are causing us to get deterred and distracted. And, and we need to get back to the Word of God. And uh, revival happens that way. Now, if there are people here that have never committed their life to Christ, then yeah, yeah that's, that's what will happen. We've already had three baptisms. Everybody say, Yay! You know, and we're looking for more baptisms. Will happen that next Sunday, right after our revival on Friday. So they're they're going to be. We're going to make a call and have people come out and say, "Okay, anybody need prayer? Come on out." And we'll probably meet in here for those that would like to be a part of that. Okay. Now, uh, what we do is we get here at at, uh, starts at seven. So I'm going to ask those that want to volunteer to be here at four. At four o'clock, we will provide a meal for those that are here and to be able to pass out more responsibilities. Oh yeah, and parking, we also need a security. What forgot about that, Ken, sorry. Uh, people to, to be in the parking lot and uh, just to kind of oversee things, security. But uh, we'll, we'll start at four with the meal and then prayer uh, and then get everybody to their stations and help out. Uh, the, the children are gonna be meeting up on the playground area up by where the basketball court's at. And so they'll need a pop-up and a table and uh, I think that's all they requested and maybe a couple of chairs to oversee the children. Any volunteers that would be greatly needed, it would be, it would be awesome to have you there. Okay, um, let me see, have I forgotten anything? Anybody else? It's very simple, it's straightforward. I mean, we're not having games, we're not having you know, food, we're not having any of those other things, except for you guys, you guys are going to get fed. Uh, we're not having any kind of a, other bounce houses, it's, just, it's straightforward uh, revival, gospel message. No frills, no, no anything else. But we do want to be able to provide for the children if parents bring their kids. They don't necessarily have to keep them there, they can bring them with them. It starts at seven, and we're done at eight. So, okay. Any questions? Any, any comments? Anything that you'd like to add? I've had people ask me to pass out flyers. Oh, once again, we've passed out over, uh, we, we mailed out over 6,000 letters, 6,000 postcards to this neighborhood. The first time we did, uh, I think a couple of thousand up in this area. And then we did another couple of thousand that way. And then I think we did 6,000, we're doing 6,000 this way. So people are getting their their postcards. uh, They should have got them yesterday or probably Monday or Tuesday. And uh, inviting them to the revival. We've also put it on our Facebook page. We've put it on the uh, calendar of events for Air One and um, the other radio, radio station, KSGN. And, and anything that you guys would, would like to do. I, I know people have asked to, to pass out flyers in the neighborhood, uh, COVID, you know, stuff like that. It's just kind of weird. Um, I, I get weird when people knock on my door. I, I'm just weird anyways, you know, that's just me. <laughs> so, so I don't know, if, if you wanna take some flyers, please do. If you know people, uh, the, one of the best things to do is just to send them a, a link to our page or uh, an e-file. We have, we have those as well. We can forward it to you. But come one, come all. Come everybody. This is our last one. Come check it out. And um, let's see what the Lord's going to do. Amen? Amen? If you have any questions, anything else, you can contact me during the week or I'll be here uh, this afternoon. If you need a word of prayer, I'd like to pray for you as well. Uh, on up here. Okay? So that would conclude our service for today. All right, let's... On. <laughs> okay, I thought we had gone off. Uh, I'm going to have my, my friend Bill here pray for us. And I guess since we're still on, you know, you'll have to use this. Come on. Well, it's just a, the, they, they can't pick you up over there. Yeah.
1: Let's, uh, as, as, um, Pastor Sal said, revival starts in us. And I, I, encourage you, I know when we started the revival, I spoke the, the week or a couple weeks before we had the first revival and I challenged us to all be in the word during that time. And I hope that you took that challenge serious in spending time in the word because I, I went through it and I was through, I'm a slow reader too. And each of those is 30 minutes, so I'm a, um, but, uh, I've been through it through that before the second viral God, so I was out of town on vacation with my family for the second one and, I wanted to just really commit my time to the Lord during the, um, preparing for this, this third one. And I've doubled up on it. And I spend about an hour in the morning to do that because I want to be finished and I will be finished before we get to Friday going through the new Testament again. So I really want to challenge you to prepare yourselves for that because revival starts with us. And if it doesn't start with us, nobody's going to see it, you know, and move, you know, to where we're at because, I can tell you I got some things the Lord is doing in my life and I'm pretty excited about. And I challenge you, when you spend time with the Lord, He's gonna do some things in your life and He's gonna give you clarity. He's going to Pastor Sal he's gonna He's gonna um, uh, bring illumination to those areas in our lives that we all need to be um, working on. So and and it's different for each of us. So I challenge you, spend time in the Word this week, every day before we come to Friday for that revival, okay? Let's pray. Father, we we do thank you for the Holy Spirit. We do thank you for you revealing your word to us, that you'd bring it to us in the time that we need it. And uh, Lord, as we begin to prepare ourselves for this, this third and final revival, Lord, I pray that that revival, that that fire would begin in us, that we would see an area that we need to draw closer to you in. And because of that, others around us would see that and desire what we have and that is you and so lord speak to us this week prepare us this week have your hand on pastor sal this week lord as he prepares for that give him encouragement lord let him know that you've ordained them for this moment lord and lord we just give you and celebrate you in this time that we're going to come together on friday in jesus name amen,
0: amen. We are dismissed.